Today on the Matt Wall Show, the left celebrates as the show Muppet Babies pushes cross-dressing on three-year-olds. Also, our five headlines, a member of the squad sets up her own homeless encampment outside of the Capitol. A Republican governor says that kids should mask in school. This is what we're getting from Republicans now. Robin D'Angelo talks about the time when she discovered she was white, and this didn't happen until she was in her 30s, apparently. The Babylon Bee cyberbullies me. I'm a victim of cyberbullying. I'll tell you why. And our daily cancellation, we'll talk about the increasing scourge of internet panhandlers. All of that and much more today on The Matt Wall Show. Now, a quick word from my pillow. You know, I'm a man of habit. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to switch things up very, very often. Uh, when I find a, a good zone, I like to stay in that zone. And that's why uh, I, I love it when I find companies that, that provide not just one product that I like, but, uh, but many products. And that's the case for MyPillow. You guys hear me talk about uh, MyPillow every week and, and how I love the MyPillow products. Well, now MyPillow is changing the game with their six-piece towel set. This set is made with USA cotton, making it extremely absorbent, yet still providing that soft feel that you look for in a towel. The set comes with two bath, two hand towels, and two washcloths, typically re retailing for $109. For a limited time, you can get this set for the low price of $39.99. That's over 60% in savings. And always remember, all MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. You have nothing to lose. They come in a variety of colors and sizes and are the best towels I have used in years. These are game-changing towels. So go to uh, MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code DAILYWIRE at checkout or call 800-651-1148. You'll receive this amazing six-piece towel set for just $39.99. That's MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener square and use promo code DAILYWIRE. Call 1-800-651-1148. Use promo code DAILYWIRE or go to MyPillow.com. Make sure to use promo code DAILYWIRE. You know, a few years ago, if you had said that we are getting to a point as a culture where cartoon shows for preschoolers will openly push gender nonconformity on three-year-olds, you would have been laughed at and mocked by almost everyone, especially those on the left, who would have accused you of engaging in a slippery slope fallacy. But as we've seen time and time and time again, if the slippery slope is a fallacy at all, it is only a fallacy because it assumes that our descent will be slow and gradual, like a man sliding down a slope, as opposed to fast and cataclysmic like a man pushed out of an airplane at 35,000 feet. The slippery slope arguments of 10 years ago understated the case. They were far too optimistic. But the basic predictions, if on a faster timeline, have played out. In fact, before we get to the preschool shows, we should note that, that we've, al we've already reached the point where people are identifying as animals, and not a few people. This is a trend now, and, and the very people who would have laughed at you for predicting it, will now solemnly inform you that it's your duty to take these hysterical delusions seriously. As always, TikTok gives us a revealing peek into this particular form of degenerate madness. So let's take a look. I made a really loud yelly video about this, but I decided I will approach this in a more calm but stern manner. A lot of the people using kitty and pup and bunny self pronouns are neurodivergent minors. It is a very common neurodivergent experience to feel a disconnect from being human mm -hmm. and from, from the societal expectation of the gender you were assigned to birth. So when you have this intersection of feeling a disconnect from being human and a disconnect from the societal expectation of gender, whether you're neurodivergent or not, a lot of people have this experience who aren't neurodivergent. It's just very common with neurodivergent people. When this intersects, you get noun self pronouns and animal noun self pronouns. 
if you are not comfortable using someone's pronouns because you assume it's kink for some weird reason, don't interact with them and just shut up about it. There were, of course, course, only about three real words used during that entire rant. But I don't want to be too harsh in dealing with this young lady as she was clearly just assaulted by a violent gang of permanent markers. I don't want to add to her suffering. In any case, she says that, that lots of people these days are, are using animal pronouns, including what she calls bunny self pronouns. Just so you know, according to my quick Google search, bunny self pronouns are bun, bunny, and bun self. So if you run into any bunnies, that's how you're supposed to refer to them. Used in a sentence, you might say, uh, bun went to the grocery store, or bun is here and buns brought buns for the cookout, or hey bun, please stop fidgeting while I put your straitjacket on. If you're not willing to use these completely made up words in order to respect the insane hallucinations of a mentally ill person who thinks that they're a bunny rabbit, then you are the weird ass. Now, it's not weird to identify as a woodland creature and demand that the English language be changed to accommodate your strange bestial road role play. It's weird to deny such a request. Hey, guys, I'm a, I'm a moose now. Just just became a, a moose yesterday. Please refer to me as moose, moose self and moose moose. Uh, what you're. You're, um, no, you're not a moose. You're a person. Well, calm down, weirdo, you pervert. What kind of creep goes around telling a moose that they're people? Now, this kind of extreme gaslighting may seem too silly to be effective, but then you forget that lots of people in this country today are so spineless that they might as well identify as jellyfish with, I guess, gel and gel self pronouns. All you have to do is scream at them and call them a bigot, and they will do literally anything you ask them to do. There is no reality they won't deny for the sake of seeming enlightened. Which is why they will also, I'm sure, applaud this. The show Muppet Babies, a show specifically targeted at preschool-age kids, has now introduced its first gender non-conforming character. Um, Gonzo has begun cross-dressing, it seems, and an entire episode of the show titled Gonzarella revolved around this development. Early in the episode, while the Muppets are planning to attend a royal ball, for whatever reason, Gonzo says that um, he wants to wear a pretty dress to the ball. And he's quickly informed by his Muppet friends that only girls wear dresses. Now, in a different time and place, that would have been it, right? That would have been a a gag for, for, for the kids to laugh about. A male character wanting to wear a dress would be seen as funny. It would have been played for laughs because it's silly. You might have had stuff like that in kid shows back in the day where a male character says, oh, I'm gonna wear the dress. And then everyone laughs. Oh, no, you silly. You don't wear a dress. Because it's silly for boys to wear dresses. That is, in fact, exactly what I've taught my own kids. Um, Like, for example, when my daughter a couple years ago was out with uh, with my wife and they happened across a man in a dress. And um, my daughter was confused about it. And I, I, I talked to her about it later. And she said to me that the man in the dress was silly. And I said, you're right. He was silly. That's silly, isn't it? Men don't wear dresses. Dresses are for girls. That's very, very silly. And that's the correct way to handle that. I think a lot of parents today, probably probably even the ones that, that, that know that it's silly, would still say to their kids, no, 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 but we have to respect. Don't, don't call it silly. That's disrespectful. That's not my approach. I said, oh, you know, you're exactly right. We should laugh about that. It's silly. But it's not how our cultural overlords at Disney want us to handle it. So in the show, 
um, Gonzo shows up to the ball in his dress and becomes the Cinderella in their weird cross-dressing take on the story. And that all leads to this scene. Let's watch. There you are. You missed our royal ball. We met the most amazing princess. But they ran away. And all they left behind was this. Everyone, there's something I need to tell you. The princess who came to your ball tonight was me. I'm Gonzarella. But Gonzo, why didn't Vu tell us? Because you all expected me to look a certain way. I don't want you to be upset with me, but I don't want to do things just because that's the way they've always been done either. I want to be me. Oh, Gonzo, we're sorry. It wasn't very nice of us to tell you what to wear to our ball. You're our friend, and we love you any way you are. Yeah, of course we do. Now, think about something here. There have been many film adaptations of Cinderella, too many, certainly. Most of them targeted at older audiences, older kids and adults. None of them have gone so far as to make Cinderella a boy. The closest would be the latest adaptation to be released on Amazon, uh, in which the fairy godmother is a dude. But even in that case, the princess and the prince are your standard, traditional male-female duo. The point here is that Disney Junior is being edgier and going further with this show targeted at three-year-olds than with the shows and movies it makes for older people. And the point is important because we need to understand that the indoctrinators are not using kid gloves with the kids. The indoctrination, much like the slippery slope, is not gradual, but abrupt and extreme. They intend to take kids when they're the most vulnerable, the most susceptible, the least able to resist, and toss them right into the deep end of the propaganda pool. They are not waiting. They are not easing anyone into this. They're taking them at three years old and saying, hey, let's start cross-dressing, kids. As always, of course, they will snicker at us for making so much out of an episode of Muppet Babies. Hey, it's just the Muppet Babies. Calm down, drama queen or king. Uh, and yet, if, if, you, if you check social media, you'll see the left celebrating this episode of Muppet Babies and exclaiming of its beauty and power, saying that they were brought to tears of joy by the sight of Gonzo in a ball gown. If you object at all, then you're making a big deal out of nothing, um, they say, as they pop the champagne bottle with tears in their eyes. It's a clever trick. They can extol the, the great significance of a certain event, while at the same time mocking their critics for acting like it's significant. And this enables them to avoid actually defending the thing itself, which is good for them because the thing itself is indefensible. You are directly encouraging young children to cross-dress. It's the kind of thing that if a man came up to your son on the playground and said it, Hey, little boy, you ever tried wearing a dress? It's a lot of fun. If a man came up to your your boy, your son on the playground and said that, you would assume he's a pedophile and you'd call the police after you throttle him and punch him in the face. But when Disney does it, or your kid's preschool teacher does it, it's supposed to be not only acceptable, but laudable. It's all a mind game. It's a mind game they're playing with adults and having great success. And if they're having that much success success with adults, think about what this is doing to children. Because children are, of course, the primary victims of all of this madness. 
Now let's get to our five headlines. There are some basic facts in life that still people will deny. In fact, most of the basic facts in life people try to deny these days. And this is one of them that, look, uh, you just look cool with a cigar in your hand. I'm sorry, you do. Uh, it, 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 will, it will make, it's impossible to not make your cool quotient go up a little bit, at least, when you got the cigar in your hand. And also, it's just a relaxing and great way, uh, I think, especially to end the day. Whether you're working from home or just kicking back after a week of being essential, there's no better way to relax than with a premium cigar. With over a century in the business, uh, Thompson Cigar, these guys, they really know their stuff. They've got the best prices on the biggest brands in the business, from Macanudo to Monte Cristo. If you're looking to try new, rare, top-rated blends, uh, but you don't want to splurge on an entire box, well, you can check out Thompson's Cigar Tour. It's a smattering of five different blends delivered to your doorstep each month. And uh, I really like that because I love cigars. I'm not, I'm far from an aficionado, so I kind of rely on Thompson Cigar to send me some of the new ones and I can uh, and I can try them. And then I can pretend that I know cigars really well when anyone asks me my favorite cigar. I'll just list the, the ones that Thompson Cigar just sent me. Uh, so I can be a poser that way. But uh, Thompson Cigar is just a great place. So sit back and take a break from all the craziness with cigar from Thompson Cigar Company. These guys rarely do offers, but right now, Thompson is offering our listeners 15% off on orders over $75 or 20% off on orders over $99. To take advantage of these incredible savings, simply go to thompsoncigar.com and use promo code Walsh when you are ready to check out. Again, that's thompsoncigar.com, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, cigar.com, and use promo code Walsh. Okay, so uh, a couple of quick notes here. Uh, I do have to let you know, re- really big, talk about significant events. Um, this is a huge moment, I think, in my life, something I'll never forget. I have uh, made it to 100,000 Instagram followers. So, you know, if you want to send gifts or anything, you can. Uh, big, 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 big moment for me. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, you go to Instagram.com slash Matt Walsh blog where there's uh, a lot of interesting stuff being put there. You know, I, I, I kind of like Instagram because uh, it you know, doesn't require a lot of effort on my part, which maybe isn't the best way to be pushing this. I'm supposed to be selling it. I'm supposed to be promoting that you go and check out my Instagram page. But you got to do that because you know, if you follow me on Twitter, if you follow me on Facebook, if you have the newsletter, mattwalshreport.com, by the way, uh, you can sign up for the newsletter. And if you listen to the show and you're a subscriber to The Daily Wire, and you subscribe on YouTube, it's, it's not enough. You need more ways to get in touch with me and connect with me. And that's why we have Instagram. Instagram.com slash Matt Walsh blog. Follow me there. Okay. That was my best, my best attempt at pitching it, selling it. Uh, what do we got here? So Representative Cory Bush has quickly become somehow the most shameless, attention-hungry charlatan in Congress which is really saying something, especially because she's a member of the squad. She's one of the newest members of the squad. And uh, I, I guess she, she showed up and, and they were going to um, induct her into the squad, bring her in, bring her into the fold. And she knew she really had to bring her A game as far as being a shameless hack. And she, she has. I mean, she has surpassed her fellow squad members for that title somehow. And now, having already won the title... She's spiking the football. She's doing an end zone dance. She's rubbing it in with this. Because right now as we speak, she has, she has camped out on the steps of the Capitol. She has set up her own fake homeless encampment in order to demand an extension to the eviction moratorium. Of course, she's choosing to be homeless during a time when the weather is sunny 
in the 70s and 80s, and it gets down to a nice, you know, 65 at night. She has all the necessary comforts, including an endless supply of junk food, it would seem. So she's choosing to do this stunt at that, you know, when, when it, it's, it's still quite comfortable. I'd be a little bit more impressed if it was like February with a high of, of, of 22 degrees in the middle of the day and she was doing this. A little bit more impressed. Um, but she's on, and need, needless to say, camped out on the steps of the Capitol, sleeping out there. This, this is not legal, okay? You, this is not something you, you could normally do if you're just a normal peon. Show up on the steps and, and go to sleep. So this is, you could argue, an, an, another insurrection being perpetrated by the squad. But let's listen to what she has to say. She's uh, outside of the Capitol right now talking to reporters, and uh, she's clutching her head in, in pain and agony crying very authentic tears. Here's what she says. It's just triggering. But when you hear the cries of others, when you hear the suffering of others, we're already fighting a battle and losing a battle because there are people who slept out last night, the night, the night before. There are people who are already unhoused and we don't have enough we don't have enough um, shelters. We don't have enough. We don't have the safe housing for them right now. And that's a failure. That's another moral failure on our society. And so to then say, yeah, 7 million more, you can go while I go on vacation. 7 million more, you can hit the, go ahead. Like that was your decision to be in this position. No, no. This is a systemic problem. This is a structural problem that can be handled by better policy decisions. So that's why we're out here. Uh, I, I guess I, I one question I have. First of all, how many Oreos does one person need? She has a, she has a box of 20 bags. <laughs> She's sitting next to a box of 20 bags of Oreos. And she had Fritos back there. Gorging on junk food. Is that the normal homeless experience? Uh, she, she, looks, she looks pretty comfortable out there. But who, who exactly are the, the, these, uh, the, the people who can't pay their rent? Now, we know just in the normal course of, of events, uh, there, there are people who fall on hard times and are not able to pay their rent. So we know this is something that happens in general. But this, this, is all, this all stems from the lockdowns and the pandemic. This again, remember, it was originally a CDC policy, although they had no authority whatsoever to enact any policy like this. Um, they, they have no authority in the realm of, of housing. This is originally a CDC policy connected to the pandemic. So these are people who, I guess we're supposed to assume, you know, many people, millions of people, thousands of people at least, who uh, were not able to pay their rent because I guess they lost their jobs during the pandemic. Okay. Well, there are thousands and thousands, uh, millions of open jobs right now. Employers are begging people to come and work for them. So if you're, if you're in a position, the eviction moratorium has ended, 
and you don't have a job, you're not able to pay your rent. Well, go, 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 go get a job. Go, go find a job. Now, there are exigent circumstances. There might be some people who, for whatever reason, even though there are so many jobs available, aren't able to find one. But however many people are being threatened with becoming unhoused, as Cori Bush puts it, it seems to me a good portion of them could probably find jobs because the jobs are out there waiting to be scooped up. And you could talk to almost any employer and they will tell you they've got plenty of jobs and they cannot convince people to take them. But all of that, not to replay everything we talked about yesterday, and it's hard for me not to because I find find this so infuriating. These crocodile tears that she's shedding uh, for for the people who are now squatters refusing to pay their rent. By the way, if you if you talk to to landlords and I and I have, a lot of them will tell you, hey, you know the the uh, that's the stimulus payments came, and it was supposed to go towards these kinds of living expenses, and I didn't see it because my tenants, you know, they went out and bought new TVs, and they bought new cell phones, they they didn't pay their rent because you give the stimulus payments in order to take care of living expenses, but at the same time you're saying the government says, oh well, you don't have to pay your living expenses. So there, and I'm not saying this is the case for all of them, but there's a, a a certain, probably not small portion of the people who have not been paying their rent and are facing eviction now who could have paid it and chose not to. But whether they could have or they couldn't, you know, these crocodile tears for squatters, while the people who own the property have, have faced immense financial hardship. It was hard enough for a lot of people to just support themselves. You know, if you lost your job or, or took a pay cut or lost hours during the lockdowns, well, you, you know, it's hard enough to take care of yourself and pay for yourself. Now, now imagine if you had to support other, like whole entire other families, whole apartments of people that now, now it was on you to take care of them while you were also losing income, just like they did. But that, again, is the kind of compassion we get from the left. All right, here's some audio to play for you. Here's uh, Biden's top COVID advisor saying that masks, at least the, the masks that people are wearing and have been wearing through this entire thing, don't really work. This is him saying it, not me. Uh, this is the Biden's COVID advisor. Here he is on CNN. We know today that many of the face cloth coverings that people wear are not very effective in reducing any of the virus movement in or out. Either you're breathing out or you're breathing in. And in fact, if you're in the upper Midwest right now, anybody who's wearing their face cloth covering can tell you they can smell all the smoke that we're still getting. We need to talk about better masking. We need to talk about N95 respirators, which would do a lot for both people who are not yet uh, vaccinated or not previously infected, protecting them, as well as keeping others who might become infected, having been vaccinated from from breathing out the virus. Here's the thing. Everything you just heard there, if I said that, I'd probably get kicked off of YouTube. But we're, we're not allowed. If we say that, that's misinformation. Only uh, a, a bureaucrat 
wearing his suit and tie on cable news. He's allowed to say that, but we can't. So I guess I have to phrase this a certain way. It would seem, according to him, that these masks that um, m- many millions of people have been wearing are uh, functionally useless. And you might say that it was obviously, that was always obviously the case. Okay, you might say that, like, what exactly are we hoping to accomplish? All these people with just pieces of cloth over their face or wearing bandanas. I mean, that was that was one of the, at least for me where I live, that was one of the most, one of the primary forms of, uh, of face covering that I saw for months and months was people would just ban, they look like, um, you know, train car robbers from 1847 with bandanas around their face. And it's, it's the, the bandana's hanging down and it's just kind of f- flapping in the wind. What, what exactly is that supposed to do? Or the neck gaiter. You know, and that's, that's had, you know, back when, when we were forced to wear masks everywhere, that was the one that I chose. The neck gaiter, because you just kind of pull it up over your face and then when no one's looking, you can take it back down. But I always thought to myself, the only reason I'm doing this is because I need to get into this grocery store and get some groceries, and they won't let me in if I don't wear it. I do not, I, I, I do not imagine that I'm actually preventing any illnesses from infecting me with this little piece of cloth over my face. Anyway, that's what he seems to be saying. And you might agree with it, or you might not. Who knows? All right, let's go next to uh, Mike DeWine, Republican governor of Ohio, who says now that uh, he, he is calling on all schools to require children to wear masks. Uh, once again, this is the Republican governor of Ohio. Here he is. We came out last week uh, with recommendations. They are recommendations. We leave it up to the local schools, 600 and some local schools. We leave it up to them. But we have a strong recommendation that because the population in school, kids in school, uh, most of them are unvaccinated. Um, you know, obviously, we can't get anybody 11 and under vaccinated yet. So most of these kids are unvaccinated. And we had great success last last winter, last school year. We saw virtually no spread in the classroom when all the kids were wearing masks. So we recommend, strong recommendation to our schools that they do that. Now, some will do that, some will not. But uh, it's clear the evidence shows that that's a way to really slow down spread in the school. And we think it's very important. So I, I say this, and I want you to know I don't mean it as a compliment. This guy, Mike DeWine, is the perfect Republican. Absolutely a perfect representative of the Republican Party. I cannot think of a better one. Just this totally unimpressive, empty, nothing of a person. Going along with, you know, not, not, not taking any kind of stand here at all. And just saying, oh, well, sure, sure, yeah. I mean, put, 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 put the kids in masks for all day, every day for an entire year. Yeah. Why not? That's, that's the best you're going to get from, the, from the, the Republican Party most of the time. Um, in fact, there, there was a, Chris, Christy Nome couple of days ago, she sent out a tweet, speaking of unimpressive Republican governors, she sent out a tweet uh, uh, talking about the, the employers who 
would require vaccine mandates. And she said she, she was taking a stand against that by saying, well, listen, if you're an employee at one of these places and your employer is requiring that you get a vaccine mandate, um, then, uh, then I, I, I encourage you to go and find another job. Well, hold on. You're the governor of the state. Can't you do a lot better than that? How about using your power to prevent these companies from having that kind of requirement? Because it's an infringement on privacy. It's a HIPAA violation. There, there, there are, you know, many angles you could approach it from. So how about using the power that you have if you're actually concerned about people losing their job for this reason? That's the Republican Party for you. Okay, next we got Robin DiAngelo. Um, she's the nutty hack who wrote White Fragility, and then she wrote another book recently that I guess nobody read. Um, I don't think anyone's actually read White, White Fragility either, by the way. It, it sold a lot of copies. I, don't th- I think probably 10 people have read it, but it sold a lot of copies. Um, the other book didn't even sell any copies. She was on some kind of show or podcast uh, recently. I don't even know what show this is. doesn't matter. And this is the conversation that occurred. Listen to this. Talk to me about when you first realized you were white huh. and, and whiteness. Yeah, talk to me about that. Um, I, I, it was a very abstract sense. I, I honestly believe I was about um, 34 years old. I was college educated. I was a parent. Um, and someone handed me Peggy McIntosh's article. Yep. And I read through that list and I had an out-of-body experience. I could tell you where I was sitting. I, I, I'm not ever going to forget that moment where all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I'm white. (laughs) And I felt so loudly white that I remember being hesitant to go outside. I didn't want to go outside because everybody could see that I was white. (laughs) Well, here's the thing, Robin. We we could see it before you realized. We we could see it all along. You, You have to laugh about it because... Uh, the other option is crying, and I've already made clear that men should not cry. But you know, w- w- we can laugh at how insane this is. But this is what this is this is this is what people this is what kids are being taught in school. As whiteness is, it's like a disease. Re- realizing that you're white. I mean, she talks about it. If you didn't have any frame of reference, and you take out a couple of the words here and there that she uses. You would think she was recounting the time when she got the test results back and found out that she had uh, breast cancer or something. She's talking about it like it's a a disease. Because that's how she sees it. And that's what, and that's what, uh, this is what critical race theory brings. It's what kids in school are being taught about themselves, to hate themselves. And whiteness, it's not just, you know, it's this kind of, it's like this spiritual concept. You know, it's apart from skin color, but also it's connected to your skin color. It's a, it's a spiritual affliction that is passed down by your ancestors to you. Uh, does, any, does anything good happen from that? I mean, where does that go? When you, when you raise entire generations of people entire races of people to hate themselves and be self-loathing. 
know, wh- wh- where does that head? Is there any historical analog for that? For that working out well for society? All right, here's also this from uh, NBC Chicago. This is from this is from last week, but this ties directly back to uh, the, the cancellation yesterday. Um, and it says, a series of LGBTQ rights bills signed by Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker will reverse archaic laws and change the way county clerks issue marriage licenses, the governor said. Pritzker signed four bills that will expand rights to the LGBTQ community. Um, one of them is the one of the most historic, HB 1063, will make Illinois only the second state in the country, second to California. We talked about California yesterday, to completely reverse the criminalizations, criminalization of um, of those living with the HIV virus. That that at least anyway, that's the way it's being framed. That in the past it had been crimin- to have HIV had been criminalized, and now we re- we are reversing the criminalization. Well, that's not the case at all. It was was not a a criminal act to have HIV in Illinois prior to this. Here's what what actually was the case. Um, Before the bill signing, you could face prison time and thousands of dollars in fines if you didn't disclose your HIV status to your intimate partner. Advocates say the law discriminated against marginalized communities and prevented people from getting tested, fearing legal repercussions for knowing their HIV status. And so now it is no longer illegal. It's not that it's no longer illegal to have HIV. I think we can all agree that it shouldn't be illegal to have any virus. And it isn't anywhere in the country. But prior to this bill, it was illegal to knowingly expose someone else to the virus without telling them. And now it's not. It is no longer a felony. You can participate in an act with someone that is highly likely to transmit to them a deadly virus and not tell them and not get their consent. And it's not a felony anymore. This is a, this is a, we talked yesterday about yesterday about California and they passed that law, that, that change in their law. uh, I think it was back in 2017 or 2018. So three or four years ago. Um, I actually didn't realize, some people in the comments pointed out that Illinois had just passed a similar law last week. I didn't even realize that. That somehow had escaped my notice. But there's a very interesting dichotomy between this and all the masking stuff. Because in California, they're bringing mask mandates back. Now in Illinois, they're also talking about bringing the mask mandates back, or at least masking guidelines, encouraging people to wear masks. So think about the contrast here. That what they're saying, and we, again, we talked about this yesterday, um, and Dr. Fauci and others, Don Lemon, have been, have been very upfront and, and, and explicit about this. That you don't have the right to expose other people to any potential diseases that you have, which means that you should wear a mask, presumably forever, and just never take it off, COVID or no COVID. Because that's the, that's the implication. That's the precedent that's being set. So um, you're infringing on people's rights if you walk through the store without a mask on. But you could have sex with, you could be HIV positive, have, se- have even unprotected sex with someone and uh, be, be nearly guaranteed to transmit it to them and not tell them, and that's not an infringement on rights? If you needed more proof that all the, 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 
the justifications that were given for mask mandates are hypocritical and contradictory. If you need more proof of that, then, then here it is. All right, five, finally, the Babylon Bee is a site that I like. I'm a, I'm a fan of it, but um, I'm not a fan of targeted harassment, which is what they have subjected me to, and I got to call them out on this. Here's a headline on Babylon Bee posted this weekend. It says, report Matt Walsh mad about something. And this is not the first time I've been targeted. You know, they also had a while back, they had, a, they had another one that said, porn addiction ended by new law that requires Matt Walsh's disapproving face to appear on all adult sites. And then this leaked security footage shows Matt Walsh attending yoga class. Now, let me tell you something, Babylon B. Bullying is not a joke. Hate crimes are not a joke. Am I mad about something? Yeah, I'm mad about the marginalizing language that you're using about me. I'm mad about fake news and misinformation. I'm mad about oppression, especially the oppression that I suffer at your hands. And for the record, by the way, the yoga class didn't even have security cameras. I know I checked. So just more lies. I got you there. Well, let's move on now to our reading the YouTube comment section. This is from Jesse Richards, who says, Matt, instead of saying, let's move on to reading the YouTube comments, you should say, you should instead go, let's see what my sweet babies have to say. How about you don't tell me how to do my job? You're banned from the show. But thanks for listening. Jonah says, I can't stop imagining Matt locked up in a dark closet at the Daily Wire studio, being fed dog food through a flap, and then drugged up for the duration of the show before being sedated back into his neutral form. Who told you about this? This has never been made public. Haley says, um, I literally have 50 pounds of old-fashioned oats in my pantry right now. The sale was just too good. Thanks, Costco. 50 pounds of oatmeal? How much oatmeal are you eating? How, that, that's, that's like decades it would take to get through that much. And the thing is, you know, it's one thing if you bought 50 pounds of oats and it was like five bucks. You probably spent, how much did you spend on that? Probably spent like 50 bucks on that. This is what Costco does to people. Um, Commander Corb says, at this point, being burned at the stake doesn't sound so bad. Only he spelled stake, S-T-A-E-A-K, which, yeah, I mean, being burned at one of those kinds of steaks sounds downright delicious, in fact. So I, I agree with you there. Uh, James says, dear sweet daddy Walsh, what do you think about physician assisted suicide? <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but I, you know, there, there are, I know I have encouraged this name, sweet daddy, but uh, sweet daddy Walsh, but there, there are times when, when maybe I wouldn't use that name. There, there are subjects where it doesn't seem very appropriate. And uh, this might be one of them. What do I think about physician assisted suicide? I think that physicians should be in the business of treating and healing. Uh, that is, if that is, after all, the, the Hippocratic Oath, that's what they swear to do. And I think they should only be in that business. So that is my radical view of doctors. I think the only thing they should do, this is it, is treat and heal afflictions, diseases, illnesses, injuries. Okay, that's the only thing they should do. They should never directly cause harm on purpose to a person. Uh, unless that harm, unless we're talking about chemotherapy or something, and the, and the harm is in the is in the is is all part of an effort to treat an illness, um, they sure, certainly should not be in the business of directly killing anybody. 
And that includes through physician suicide and it includes through abortion. So that's my view on that. Uh, Tyler says, hey, Matt, simple trick I use for converting kilograms to pounds is to double it, then add 10 percent. So 10 kilograms times 20 equal, times 2 equals 20. 20 plus 10 percent equals 22 pounds. I think technically one kilogram is 2.203 or something pounds, but it's a pretty accurate way to convert for any weightlifting weights. See, that just confuses me more. And this is why I was terrible in math classes, because any, you know, I had tutors who would sit me down and say, okay, well, here's an easy way to think of this. And the easy way to think of it always made me more confused. Because I'm very stupid. Zelmo says, as a seven-foot man, I'm offended that you suggested we're just automatically supposed to go to the NBA. You have attacked an extremely marginalized group, literally 40 of us in the entire U.S. I demand an apology, and for you to recognize my lived experience ducking under door frames and barely fitting on airplanes while wearing two small shoes. Just know if you ban me from the show, you'll lose literally your biggest fan. Shame on you. Wait, is that true, though? Backing up, there, there are only 40 people in the whole U.S. that are seven feet or, or, high, or, or uh, larger? Because here's, I don't want to make you feel worse about this thing, but if that's true, that there are only 47 footers in the entire country, as you claim, and this is your community, so I'll defer to you, there, also, there have to be at least 39 in the NBA. So, Zelmo, you're literally the only seven-foot guy in the country who didn't make it to the NBA. Tough break, man. Tough break. Uh, and finally, Bill Dow says, Matt, it's been a while since we've had any poo shiesty updates, and I'm beginning to become concerned. Well, Bill, uh, I thank you for asking. And, you know, honestly, nobody ever asks me about poo or, frankly, how I'm doing now that my guy poo is locked up. And that's pretty hard on me, personally. As for the latest, I did look it up, and it's not good. Um, the website Hip Hop DX has this. It says, Poo Shiesty is currently locked up in a Miami-Dade federal jail for the foreseeable future. And according to 3-6 Mafia affiliate Crunchy Black, that's exactly how it should be. During a recent interview with Dirty Glove Bastards Off the Porch series, fellow Memphis native Crunchy Black boldly states jail is where Poo Shiesty belongs, considering his alleged involvement in the October 2020 sh- shooting incident in the Bay Harbor Island area. So, Poo Shiesty, Crunchy Black, Dirty Glove Bastard. We're, we're starting to see sort of our, our, our uh, modern Mount Rushmore come together. Although I can't tell if these are people or street slang for methamphetamine. But um, Crunchy Black is unfortunately throwing Poo Shiesty under the bus. We have some of the footage of that. Let's, uh, let's watch it. Poo Shiesty. Look at this. He just got in the game. He already jumping out the car robbing this. this you get what I'm saying? Allegedly. Yeah, whatever. But uh, that was that. <laughs> we saw that. You know, <laughs> legend, my. <laughs> but Pooh Shiesty, that's my young. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying he did it. It was him. You know, hey. <laughs> I ain't gonna act like that wasn't him. <laughs> Y'all can't act like that. But that was Pooh Shiesty. You know, they can't lock him up because I said it was him. I could be still lying. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just saying, that young a wild too. Lies. Damned lies. I never thought I'd see the day when Crunchy Black turns on Pooh Shiesty. What's next, Crunchy Black? Are, I, are you going to throw Spot Him, Got Him under the bus? What about Lil Durk, who appeared on Pooh's iconic anthem, Back in Blood? Going to give him up to the feds too? These young men have done nothing wrong. These are men of dignity and grace. 
They are gentlemen. And you, sir, are a scoundrel. This has been one of the weirder reading the comment sections that we've done. Uh, So let's quit while we're behind. You know, this past weekend, vaccine passport protests in Berlin turned violent when police decided to start batoning innocent women and children. Pretty disturbing if you saw that footage. Why were they doing that? Because it hurts the narrative that they've been spinning, uh, the narrative that cares only about how easy you are to control. It's a blatant, transparent show of authoritarianism. And if you think it can't happen in America, you're certainly wrong about that. That's why there's never been a better time to to pick up Ben Shapiro's new book, The Authoritarian Moment. The book does a deep dive into the history of authoritarianism, how it's creeping into our own government. And then really the most important thing is what we can do to stop it. So it's time to learn how to stop our tyrannical government in its tracks. The Authoritarian Moment is available now at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any other major bookseller. Also, if you want to know what it's like to be in the presence of the always trending Candace Owens, then you're in luck. Because now you can enter to win a free trip to meet her and be part of her live studio audience. And you can bask in her presence as I myself have done. If you sign up now as a Daily Wire member with code VIP, you'll get 25% off your new membership and be automatically entered for a chance to win a trip for two to the Daily Wire studios to see Candace live. Not only will you be meeting Candace, you'll be getting an inside look at her studio and front row seats to watch her destroy the left's insidious ideology on her talk show, Candace. So go now uh, to win two VIP tickets to see Candace live and meet her. You can go to dailywire.com slash subscribe using code VIP for 25% off. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So today we're going to cancel panhandlers, beggars, vagrants. And I don't mean the people who stand on the median strip with a sign or come up to you in the parking lot at Walmart or sit on the sidewalk with a jar. That's the old-fashioned panhandling. Say what you want about it, but at least they're asking for money face-to-face, in person. Also, almost all of them are drug addicts or severely mentally ill or both. These are desperate, broken people. Um, I don't often give them money because, frankly, I don't really want to fund someone else's crack addiction um, or my own. I don't know why I said someone else's crack addiction like I have one. But anyway, uh, but but I'm, I'm not mad about being asked. So that's not what we're talking about. A far worse category of beggar is the Internet beggar. And I'm, I'm, I'm also not talking here about the person in legitimately desperate straits trying to raise money to pay for their child's medical treatments or something like that. And I'm obviously not talking about people who raise money for other people, for charitable causes, especially if they're raising money for, say, needy abuelas. I'm talking about the rising tide of people who beg the internet for money for frivolous reasons or for no stated reason at all. People who start GoFundMes for themselves despite not being in any dire need. In fact, when I did that abuela fundraiser, out of the kindness of my heart, I got messages from dozens and dozens of people sending me their own GoFundMes and asking, sometimes demanding, that I share their GoFundMes and raise money for them. Often their causes were things like, please pay my student loans, or please give me money so I can go on vacation. That was a real one. Someone actually asked me to do that. Or, uh, or help me, sir, I need money to get my car detailed. I made the last one up, but it's not far from the kinds of campaigns I've seen. And um, we should also say that, that, that even some of the fundraising campaigns stemming from actual tragedy or affliction are, at a minimum, some of them, sort of weird and inappropriate and off-putting. Because these days, when someone suffers a misfortune, especially if that misfortune generates some attention online, the first thing they often do is start a GoFundMe, even if it isn't really clear how money is going to help them in their situation or why they're asking for it. The pitch seems to be, something bad happened to me, uh, and now please everyone give me money to make yourselves feel better about it. 
Now, this is all pretty objectionable, but at least it's better than another form of cyber panhandling in which a person simply puts their cash app or Venmo handle in their bio on social media and asks people to send them money for no reason. Often these days, the panhandler doesn't bother with a sob story or any story. They just preemptively ask the whole internet for money and hope for the best. And even that is better than the latest innovation, something I've noticed more and more recently. And I saw it again yesterday in a shopping center parking lot. Perhaps you've seen this yourself. People who put their cash app or Venmo handles on the rear windshield of their cars, soliciting donations from anyone in the world who happens to park near them or end up behind them in traffic. The car I saw yesterday had the person's cash app information along with a brief message indicating that she's a single mother and any little bit helps. I mean, it didn't say she's homeless. It didn't say anything. It just said single mother, any little bit helps. Apparently, just the simple fact of being a single mother, regardless of your actual financial situation, is supposed to be enough to justify public solicitation. I'm a single mother. Give me money. Why? Why should I? I'm a father of four. Why don't you give me money? Now, I wasn't sure if this windshield trend was something that I was just noticing myself. Maybe these people are following me around to torment me specifically. I don't know. Uh, but it turns out that's not the case. I looked it up and found a recent article from the Washington Post on this very subject indicating that it is indeed a national trend. It says, quote, When Corey Roy was heading out on the final leg of a road trip to celebrate her wife's 29th birthday in April, she decided to add a message to the rear window of her Hyundai. Uh, Help us get to New Orleans, she wrote, adding her Venmo and Cash App accounts. Roy, an Austin-based hip-hop artist who goes by Mama Duke, said in an interview that she was inspired by fellow road trippers on TikTok. Even $20 would be better than nothing, Roy figured, but there was reason for optimism. Over the past few months, social media users, especially on TikTok, have been sharing their own experience of Venmo-powered road trips as travel has revved up again. Users have sought and received contributions from strangers for graduations, birthdays, bachelorette parties, anniversaries, even divorces. Some of the videos have been viewed millions of times. Now, the article gives several examples, including one car spotted by a journalist who posted it to Twitter, which said, um, just divorced, buy me a drink, D-R-A-A-A-A-N-K. And then it had her Venmo. Well, at least the divorce is no mystery here. I mean, shameless and greedy is not a recipe for success in any human relationship, least of all a marriage. One other example from the article, a woman named Alyssa Harris had the bright idea to start panhandling for her bachelorette party. Um, It says, quote, during a stop early on, she wrote a message on the back of the car as she had seen a fellow TikTok user do. It said, quote, last fling before the ring, buy the bride a drink. A friend shot a video and they posted it to TikTok during the drive. It blew up so fast, said Harris, a dental hygienist. She had her phone propped up on a stand in the car for directions, but Venmo notifications kept flashing. I was like, oh my gosh, guys. Every time I checked, there was another $100. While she thought a few hundred dollars might come in, I've seen what TikTok can do, she said. She was floored when the total topped $3,200. Yes, well, who could think of a more worthy charitable cause than sending money to a random dental hygienist so that she can have a fun bachelorette party? People in her line of work have salaries up to $100,000 a year. A good number of the people who sent her money probably make less than she does, but she accepted it without shame. And that's the common theme here, a total lack of shame. So what is the problem? Granted, if people are stupid enough to give their money to some flagrant money grubber who put their personal financial information on the windshield of their car or posted to their Twitter bio or to TikTok, that's their own fault, right? 
True, but even so, there, there's reason to be concerned that people in our culture have become so comfortable begging the world for money, even when they don't really need it and are hardly pretending to need it. To understand the problem, consider this. Consider this. How many of these moochers would actually go up to a stranger face-to-face and say, hey, uh, will you give me some money? Why? Why, why do you need it? Oh, I, no reason. I, I just want some, I guess. I, I'm, I'm going to go party later and I, you know. I, just, I didn't want to spend my own money on the party, so maybe I could spend yours. How many would do that? Almost none of these people would. And yet that's what they do online or on their windshields or on their TikTok accounts. Now, this, of course, is a far-reaching problem on the Internet. People saying things they would never say in person, acting in ways they would never act in front of a physical audience. And whenever you find yourself doing or saying anything behind the shield of your screen or keyboard that you would never even think about doing or saying to another human in the flesh, um, you should really stop yourself and ask why. In the case of the panhandlers, they wouldn't do it in person because it's shameful and embarrassing and pathetic to solicit money from strangers when you're not in desperate need and are not giving them anything in exchange. Doing it online is not any less shameful or embarrassing or pathetic, but it does insulate you from those emotions. And that's maybe that's that's one of the primary dangers of the internet is it insulates you from, from the emotional consequence of the things that you're doing and saying. Now, um, you know, soliciting money from strangers, even when you do need it, and are actually desperate, can still be quite a humbling experience. If, again, you're making these pleas in person. It should be humbling. There's nothing wrong with asking for help if you need it, but it's something that should be approached with humility. You're going up to a stranger and asking that they give to you while you offer nothing in return. There is a time and place for that sort of plea. But the fact that you're asking them to make 100% of the sacrifice for your sake when they don't even know you should, again, bring forth within yourself a deep sense of humility. It's that deep sense of humility that's lost among so many of the cyber panhandlers. There is no sense of humility. They feel no mortification in receiving money in exchange for nothing as long as the money comes from faceless, nameless people who do not have to soli- who they don't have to solicit personally nor thank personally or thank at all. Entitlement, shamelessness, laziness, these all the, are the hallmarks of modern American culture. And so it is no surprise that we have produced a legion of comfortable, well-fed, well-dressed internet hobos using their $900 iPhones to clink their jars to the world, pleading that we might spare some change, though they have plenty of spare change themselves. I will not give these people a dime, but I will tell them, you're canceled. And we will leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, editor-in-chief of Daily Wire. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. 
On today's episode, an Olympic update, the eviction moratorium expires, and the Taliban seizes control of half of Afghanistan. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. 